I'm Christina Bui. I am the co-founder and managing partner at Keylon Ventures. We are a venture studio focused on elevating Vietnamese entrepreneurs. And um, I'm also the founder of Vietnamese Leaders Forum. And it is a group of uh, Vietnamese who are very dedicated to elevating the next generation of Vietnamese leaders and giving back to our community. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over. So how did you get involved in the early days with venture, with the venture capitalist for, uh, work? Um, I started my career uh, being very focused um, on uh, going through the Fortune 500 corporate route, sort of moving from healthcare, from Johnson & Johnson to engineering. Um, I was in the in en engineering industry with one of the largest engineering firms for uh, over 10 years with Parsons. And then um, the rest of uh, my career in corporate was in uh, CFO services, uh, transaction services. So what uh, our company did was we, um, through uh, Robert Half, Tatum, Kranz, uh, I was in the CFO transaction business, helping companies grow from C stage to series A, B, C on the finance side and uh, through and then helping them through their exit through M&A IPO. So um, I uh, was uh, got a lot of experience in helping companies through different stages in my corporate career. And then when um, I sort of really got tired of being, um, you know, just uh, a number in the, in in the in the corporate world, uh, I decided to reconnect to one of one of my good friends, uh, who was uh, Hui Do, um, who was with me in Vietnam in the you know the year. Gosh, was that Clinton when we were back in Vietnam with uh, President Clinton, uh, where we started the first uh, Viet um, the first Vietnamese tech conference in Vietnam. Um, I thought I could take all that corporate experience and helping companies through um, uh, to growth and then through exit through M&A and IPO and sort sort of um, uh, take that experience and help younger. Um, I guess not all of them are younger, but uh, helping other Vietnamese entrepreneurs who may not have had the you know, just the big, the vast corporate experience that I had and the connections that I have built in San Francisco, Silicon Valley for over 25 years with venture capital, private equity, and all the transaction services, really, the, all the advisory firms and transaction services firms that can help the company get through, get to that exit. You were in Vietnam in the early in the '90s, in the early days, uh, working within the within the uh, arena of of money. Now, when we think of this sort of experience today, we um, a lot of people who are first generation uh, Vietnamese or second generation are not really secure in the work that happens in Vietnam because of you know the legal infrastructure. But you were there in the early days, so how? Should we look at this? How should we as a community approach the thought of doing business in Vietnam on on these big corporate levels? Is it safe? Is it things that we need to worry about? What what are the ways that we look at these things? Yeah, so I, I actually was there. Uh, Johnson & Johnson sent me back in 94 to be one of the, their first consumer products uh, employees. And I came back to the States and I told the company group chairman, I said, no way, Vietnam's not ready for you. Uh, not, and I'm not ready for it. Um, and and I, I told him no. And I think they held back. It took them a long time. Uh, to to go in and and they decided to hire um, somebody from Hong Kong instead of uh, a, a Viet Kiel because they sort of saw that um, Viet Kiel are just maybe too Americanized 
to work there but uh but no there there were uh, there are st there there were a lot of challenges and um and and but you know we have a lot of friends within our Vietnamese leaders forum uh who stuck it out you know and um uh i could name a few you know andy hove you know capital don lamb um henry you know there's just a lot of people that stuck through all of the you know the the risks <laughs> that um that it took and 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 i think you know and they've been very successful so um i think there's still a lot of caution um and uh and we're still learning about you know about it how to get through but but definitely um there are people who have been very very successful so what what do you think made those guys successful and other people not yeah gosh if we we would have to ask them i think uh um it's a relationship building it's a lot of trust you know building um, and you just really, you know, have to be street smart and, um, really stick it out. And, uh, I, and I guess just, I, I think, I think honesty probably has to do a lot, you know, a lot with it and being humble. And I think there were people who sort of went back and said, you know, I'm great. I'm going to make a lot of money and brag about it. Or, and I think if you're sincere about your intentions, um, I, I think, uh, I believe that people will be very successful there. And when you gave your bosses uh, in the early days, sort of like the the no the mm -hmm. we don't think that we can do this what were sort of the red flags that you saw can you give a few that you're like okay this is not going to work yeah yeah i mean i you know um johnson and johnson uh really they have the highest quality right you know it is the their quality there are lots of um i guess copycat uh, products uh, that say that they were, and they had a lot of, a lot of problems with that. And it's really higher price than your, you know, generic brands. And I just, uh, when I went back and saw that the kids, kids didn't even have shoes and were barefooted in the streets. I, that was my feedback. I said, you know, the, the country's not ready to buy your expensive products. And that's what I told mm. the, the com company group chairman told me to write an essay about why I'm saying no. And I said, people are too poor. And there's just, um, you know, a lot of still a lot of corruption. And, um, and I, I just didn't think it was time for us to push our expensive products at these people who can't even afford the basics. What do you think changed in the infrastructure in the year since? Because there's a lot of big uh, companies like Intel and Nike and Coke. What what changed? What transpired throughout the years? Yeah, I I think those companies um, uh, really, you know, they you have to dig in and make the investment and hire the right people and uh, spend the time to build a relationship and um it's a look at it as a long-term view not a you know i'm gonna go in and make you know get the profit margins and the roi out of this um i i do remember the the companies that you know just uh really benefited from understanding that vietnamese people are hardworking and educated and really adapting uh, to the culture, and um, and 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 I think those companies will will be successful. The ones that I, I I do know some others that did not you know stick it out right or or just very cautious that they just set up a satellite office but they don't do much. They only have a little bit of sales, but they don't invest. They really didn't not invest in in the in in the country so i think those those guys are just really just gonna you know have a, a foothold but not not really really be there yeah because when i think about like the early days the infrastructure it's like houses that are built on sand right you mm -hmm. go in and you, i don't even think the, the the vietnamese on the ground 
understood sort of what the legal infrastructure or ramifications of like crossing lines and uh, the idea of, of um, you know, doing bribery and, and all of these shenanigans that we're used to for for so many years in Vietnam, you know, business works a certain way in, in, in Asia, you know, there's yeah. greasing and, you know, mm -hmm. all of these yeah. things that, that make money move. And that's not the way the West does things. And I, I just uh, am amazed at guys like Henry that, that go back and, and have stuck it through and, and really have done very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the U.S., you know, companies just knowing, just having been part of these large corporations, they can't, you know, I mean, they learned their lessons before they've had to do it before and they've uh, gotten in trouble before. And, yeah. um, and uh, I think uh, at that time they had learned their lessons from having gone into the other countries like the Philippines. And so uh, I just saw so much more caution uh, by those companies and the legal ram ramifications were just not worth it. And, and at that time, a lot of companies that I knew were just pulling out of Asia, you know, as Vietnam was opening up. And really, we um, the Asian uh, financial crisis hit, you know, right, like three years later after I was there. Um, that was 97 that was a year after the lifting them uh the embargo oh, wow. and and i watch all of, i mean i actually opened the hanoi international school that was one of my venture capital projects in 19 april 1996 that was uh, uh a bunch of viet Gil, um uh hedge fund guys that i was working for decided to invest in opening a private school in Hanoi. Um, it, the school is still there. I'm so proud of it. And um, we, uh, and we, uh, I was responsible for hiring the principal and all the international baccalaureate teachers from England and Australia. And uh, we opened the school. It was for expat kids because the tuition was uh, 10000 a year. I mean, that's a lot for yeah. Vietnamese people at that time. But, uh, but it was for expat kids. And um, we opened the school. And then, you know, just the Asian financial crisis hit and everything just fell apart. Like everybody left. You know, everybody left. Wow. You know, it, it, it's crazy. I always say um, I come here for one thing with uh, the guests. Like I came here for VLF to talk about VLF, but I had no idea the expansive work that you, you've you done in the 90s and the the probably the same people that we we know together. I had no idea that. Yeah, uh, it's uh, I, I, ha I have heard, you know, sometimes you don't think about it. Yeah. Oh, my, well, I, I did that. I went there, but um we we did we were you know i guess we we i would say we were the pioneer and now that i go back to vietnam and i see uh the the things that we saw in the year 2000 that were just plans you know saigon tech park and all these tech parks and, and industrial zones they were just a drawing on a piece of paper and now you know Barman. it's so amazing to see it all built you know yeah. with beautiful smooth roads and big buildings fancy buildings so i'm i uh i i just went back for the first time this past um uh i guess this past summer uh i guess it was the first time in like almost 20 you know since the uh, in, in about 20 years. And I was just amazed to see it all. It came into fruition, like everything that was on a piece of paper was built out and more impressive than I would have ever imagined. So, um, I think, you know, just really, I, I admire my friends who stuck, you know, who stayed and I can introduce you to some of them and get them on the podcast. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I, I think Vietnam is really on its way to be the, I, I think, the next Silicon Valley of Asia. Indeed. Uh, we have very smart and intelligent uh, Vietnamese mm -hmm. people, and they speak English. And some of the kids now, like RMIT or Fulbright University, you can't really tell if they're from the U.S. or from Vietnam. It's, it's mind-blowing. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny. I sent my son back to Vietnam this past summer. Um, he was uh, to um, volunteer at Joe Ray Hospital because he wants to be a doctor. And Joe sort Ray? of left him there. Joe Ray Hospital? Joe Ray. That's yeah. A brutal, that's a brutal hospital. I know. That's like yeah. a ground level. You just see all kinds of um, yeah. it's a, it could get pretty dark if you spend a, a few hours there. Yeah. So he, um, he and um, his friend uh, uh, is, uh, yeah, they spent the week there. And um, he said that he sort of, I said, well, lay low so that you don't get kidnapped because I just sort of left him there um, for three weeks to, you know, to learn his way around. Take, He said, I'm fine, you know, taking the grab by myself. No one's going to kidnap me. But he said he really did not think that people knew that he was not Vietnamese, even though he didn't speak any Vietnamese. Wait, he, so, he really thought what? He really thought he blended in, that he did. You couldn't tell the difference between him and a kid, you know, uh, another kid in Vietnam. And, and he sincerely believed that, right? Yes. Yeah. He's like, and I'm not going to get kidnapped. I'm not, you know, I am, I can take the grab everywhere. He's 17 by myself. Don't, you know, everybody's worried about him being on his own. But uh, he, he said, I blended in. I don't think they can tell that I'm, I'm not from. And, and you know, if there. some kid told me that 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I would not believe him. But yeah. today that is a very true sentiment from a 17 year old from the United States, because for the money and for the outward appearances of 17 year olds in Vietnam, you're they're wearing expensive uh, branded clothes. More fancy than more fancy. <laughs> I'm more actually buying the, you know, the clothes from the market, you know, <laughs> you know, from the open market and yeah. I'm happily wearing them. And they're actually the one, you know, they're buying the real department store stuff and that, you know, yeah. I mean, the stores are amazing, beautiful stuff. Um, but, but it's really funny because when I went back, uh, in the 94, 96, my, um, my staff, you know, at the Hanoi international school, um, they said, you need to dress better to me. <laughs> And that was in the 90s. Why don't you dress up, you know? You know, because I was just wearing very plain blue dresses. I was trying to blend in, yeah, you know, yeah. blue, black, brown, right? Yeah. And they told me to dress better. And we were paying them at that time uh, when you're in the private sector and you get $400 a month. That was a lot. A lot that was a lot. Well, you know, and nope. the secretaries told me I need to dress better. <laughs> Now, at the time, what did your parents or people around you in the 90s think when you were making these trips to Vietnam? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think my, you know, my dad was a, a, a naval officer in the, he was chief of naval training for the South Vietnamese Navy. And he, um, he didn't think it was safe for him to go back. And I, and I went ahead of my, you know, everybody in my family, uh, because Johnson and Johnson sent me back and, um, they didn't think it was safe. And, um, and I actually, um, uh, my entire family back in Vietnam, they rented a movie, you know, a camera to videotape everybody so that I could bring it back to my dad. And, um, uh, when I was leaving the airport, um, they, you know, the customs, they took the tape away from me. Oh my God. And I started bawling. I made a scene at the airport. I was started crying and screaming and, and, but they actually, because I made a scene, they, they let me go, uh, and let me take everything with me. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, they said you were supposed to have it reviewed and censored before you could take any kind of camera, you know, videotape of the country. Uh, I mean, that's understandable at the time, but I didn't know the rules. <laughs> so they let but, you take the tape home? Yeah. Did they, they review did. the tape? They didn't review it. They just, I just said, we, you know, I mean, they didn't review it. They, I made such a big scene uh that they just let me go so i would shut up <laughs> they're probably looking for just like 20 bucks at the time <laughs> yeah no no because the head guy he he did you know when he let me go 
uh, and all his staff was gone, all these custom officials, there were about 10 of them ganging up on me. And, you know, they were taking, I was buying like little tiny souvenirs, you know, a dollar here and there. And they said, and then uh, they said, oh, you're buying art and you have to report it. And I was just, you know, they just was just making it very difficult for me. So, um, uh, but yeah, they put everything back in my suitcase after I made a scene and zipped it up. And after all his staff left, the head guy said, can you give me some cigarette money? <laughs> you know, and that's all it that's all it takes, you know, in the early days. And I think that that misunderstanding and that sort of that structure exists. And in the early days, a lot of uh, us Americans VQs were like, we're not down with that. Not even a dollar. We're not going to, we're not going to, it's the principle. But yeah. oftentimes when the, 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 the lowest person on the totem pole at the time, if they start giving you problems, it's just a sign to give them a few dollars and they'll let you out. Right. Yeah. And that's sort of like the thing that doesn't, help grease the wheels within business in the in the 90s and the early 2000s. And when we know that and we kind of like flow with that, it, it makes things work. But on the principle level, it just it rubs us all the wrong way. Yeah. And I was stubborn. You know, it was you you were supposed to slip a twenty dollar bill yeah. into your passport so you can go. But I was just like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And I think that's why they you know, they stopped me. Uh, they, they uh, but but I also stuck out like a sore thumb. They um, uh, they they call me you know uh, uh me you know when I was because I was too colorful and the way I stand you know with my um the way I stand I talk even though I you know I could speak Vietnamese they they call me me die me die. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know how to cross the street, you know, uh, over the traffic. So, um, yeah, we definitely used to stand out like a sore thumb, yeah. but now we don't anymore. I think which is really great, which is amazing. Yeah, it's and, beautiful. And my um, my my nieces and nephews, um, they speak perfect English and they they're so smart and they work so hard. I'm, I'm just really, really impressed with everybody that i've met there now uh before we move on to uh the vlf stuff uh your son coming back after three weeks and having i'm sure you had a debrief within the family and how did he feel about being there for three weeks oh he loved it he didn't want to you know i said you want to come back he didn't want to leave and and we really immersed him um i you know just through different experiences with um uh living in uh staying in different districts you know district one where it's really really fancy um with you know you couldn't i don't think you could tell the difference between district one you know in saigon between there and new york or Absolutely. singapore right i mean paris i was just like wow it's so beautiful and clean and amazing mm -hmm. and then but but i love district 10 that's where my cousin lives where you know, it's just exactly like it was when I was growing up there in the 70s. You, um, you know, he's vegetarian. It's really funny. Uh, he walked through the market, you know, where they the the street market and he watched um, somebody like break a chicken's neck because <laughs> they were selling the chickens live. And, uh, you know, and he and I uh, he's like, you know, I mean, he couldn't believe He's like, yeah, I just, I said, well, you would be upset if you saw these chickens in the cage. And then he said, well, I saw them break one of the chickens neck. <laughs> and, and, and I, I really love the fact that he got to stay in, in the dif different districts. And then he traveled down to the South, you know, Gangta, Mita, and, you know, uh, with, with uh, my niece and just really, really got to see from, the, you know, wealthiest to the, you know, the poorest of the poor. And he's like, wow, you know, there are a lot of poor people, you know, in, in Vietnam. And I really wanted um, that experience for him because, you know, he, he grew up in San Francisco, <laughs> life on a silver platter uh, so far, but I, I'm really glad that he, he, so, you know, he had experience and he didn't complain. He's, you know, there was a, cockroach in his shower and 
uh, huge cockroaches and, you know, but I think he, um, uh, there was not a complaint, you know, there was not a complaint, like, get me out of here, get me back to a fancy hotel. You know, he, I think he was fine. Yeah. You raised him right. Oh God. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm glad. I'm glad that, um, I did not get the, get me out of here, you know, but, uh, I really, uh, really appreciated the experience of, you know, living in the, you know, the poorest area to, he's like, wow, the wealthiest area. I didn't, you know, he said, I didn't know people were so rich. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, of course, you, yeah. And you, yeah. and you know, when you dig back to guys history, like, you know, the Ryan Huberses of the world, the Henry's of the world, all of these guys that grew up, uh, you know, going to Ivy league schools or private schools here in the U S and did very well. And for them to sort of pick up everything and move back in their mm -hmm. late 20s, early 30s. It's mind blowing to think about the kind of uh, the cultural shift that they had to go through, not only with their environment, but the way that money is dealt with in, in the business world. Yeah. Yeah. I think it just took a lot of guts and they just have to love Vietnam enough to do it. I mean, I have to say I was chicken, right? I was like, I said no. And uh, because I I knew that, oh, I wanted my, you know, me, you know, my, they call me me because I love my American comfort, right? I want to go back to, uh, at the time I was living in Washington, I was like, I can't handle this, you know? And, uh, and but they, they said, they said yes, and they can, you know, they stuck it out. So, and it was, I think it was worthwhile. Yeah, it, for sure. Know, and not everybody right? may, I would, I would venture to say in my mind, anecdotally, maybe just maybe 10% of the, that wave, you know, if that made it through to today and are still living there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think there were others who got in trouble, had gotten in trouble, you know, yeah. with the law there. So, um, you know, so I think, and, and I don't know, so there was just, uh, I think to be, to have the street smart to, to be there, you know, and, and, uh, it's, it's very admirable. Yeah. A lot of grit too. Mm -hmm. So what made you start the VLF? I'm, I'm talking about going to mechanical level, like what brought it into existence? Oh, it's a, uh, I have to tell you, it's, it's a, it, it, VLF started by accident and, but it was really funny that it started on January 1st, you know, on a new year's day, like a new beginning, um, 2021. Um, so I, uh, I always had a group, uh, within, um, the Silicon Valley area. We had a group of entrepreneurs or C-level executives, Vietnamese that we got together socially uh, because they, because um, uh, it was just, we got together to, you know, and Hong, you know, Logic Gear, he's a singer, jazz singer. So he'll have people over and he'll have his band and we will enjoy music or we would go out to dinner. And, you know, we knew that we were, um, and uh, so it was all social. And uh, at the beginning, and then during the pandemic, I um, had to drive across the country four times uh, to help my dad take care of my mother who was dying of Alzheimer's. So uh, we didn't want to fly and we didn't want to bring, you know, get, you know, back then you thought if you get on the plane, you'll bring yeah. COVID. So we, uh, we drove across the country and um, we took the 40 a lot because it was more flat. And uh, it went through uh, Arkansas. And on one of the trips, uh, I saw the sign Little Rock. And I said, well, you know, my old refugee camp for Chaffee, Arkansas must be nearby. So then um, then one day it was just uh, one of these really rainy nights. We decided to stop. You know, you never know when you're going to stop. It's just when you're tired. So we decided to stop at Fort Ross and stay overnight on New Year's Eve at Fort, Fort Ross. And then New Year's Day, when we woke up, I just like, I want to go see Fort Chaffee. This is where we first land in the U.S. So we found the Fort Chaffee um, 
uh, uh, the barracks where we used to stay when we first landed in the U.S. And they preserved it exactly like the way it was. So now for Chaffee uh, District, it's called a historical district. They preserve all the barracks for all the uh, where the Vietnamese and Cuban refugees stayed. And uh, you could, it's like a museum now, and they did not take it down. So then I took a photo of myself in front of the barracks and sent the photo to all my Vietnamese Silicon Valley friends. And uh, that's how VLF started. People started responding back with photos of their refugee days and introducing themselves. And then they kept adding more friends, you know, so, so that's how it started people. And there were some beautiful stories. Some people had uh, I guess uh, news articles written about them because they were the new ref refugee family in some little town in Pennsylvania. And, you know, they would make their, their, you know, their town newspaper. So, so uh, it was really amazing. And then the group just kept introducing more people to the group and then it kept growing. I think we have about 190 people now and it's that just through introduction. This is the most random story I've ever yeah. heard. I did not know that, Christina, because, you know, I've been to uh, uh, a few VLF uh, meetups and there are just these high powered people in the Vietnamese community. And I thought, oh, OK, well, th this is the mastermind, you know, Christina Bui thinking of ways to make the community stronger and build these businesses alliance. I mean, which is what what VLF does. But I did not know the origin story is so fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And I, we just love the stories. And some people would send in these beautiful stories, you know, long articles. And I wish, you know, I wasn't very organized. I wish I captured all of it. <laughs> I don't know if I can go back and capture everybody's stories. But it was, and maybe that's a project for us is to capture everybody's stories and archive it yes. and put it, you know, somewhere because they're, you know, pretty amazing escapes, right? If you talk about you know, just the lives of I mean, each person's life is a book in itself. And uh, yeah, it was very, and, and we've kept it loose, um, yeah. you know, just people introducing people, because I think, and we seem to be very supportive of each other, um, and helping each other's passions and causes, whatever it is. And, and, and I think it's people like to, if I need something like I need an accountant, I need a lawyer, you know, I go to the groups like you know, yesterday, I just introduced two, two CPA firms, you know, to, uh, uh, to a banker that's from, you know, that's from the group and you just want to help. I mean, it's just, uh, uh, and the beauty of it, and you've seen this when, we never met each other in person before, mo most of us, because yeah. we're all across the country. But when we get together, everybody's instant best friends, like the the comfort of being around people with the same mindset, the same goals, the same mission, or coming from the same place, there's just uh, this beautiful comfort level. And and, and I'm, I also don't see that you know, I think Vietnamese people are sort of known to be very, very competitive yes. of each other. Um, I don't see that there here. I think we built a culture of people being very supportive of each other. And yeah, okay, you have different, everybody, you know, there are restaurants that compete with each other, or there are people with products, you know, with company products that um, compete with each other, but it's okay, we're, we're all going to be there to help elevate each other. So, well, that brings me to the, it's a real sensitive question about exclusivity and inclusivity, because there's nobody that I, you know, look when I, when I look through the membership list and, you know, these emails go out, there's nobody who are just, you know, regular folks. There's people <laughs> that are a lot of, a lot of heavy hitters in the business yeah. world. So what's the criteria? I mean, do you, do you get people who submit, you know, uh, submit uh, their applications or? Oh, no, there's no application. I think uh, it's just a nomination. Like if somebody says, oh, I think this person is going to be a great fit. And they just email me. They said, you should meet this person. And I think she's, you know, they're going to be a good fit. So there's no application. It's just, you're nominated by someone else within the group. 
And if and 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 I think that person who nominates you is responsible for you and your behavior, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah. it's accountable. And some people are saying, "Well, we need two, you know, two people to endorse it because, hmm. you know, we we don't want anybody to rock a boat." Uh, I am anti-conflict, anti-political, anti-everything. We're we're just. You know, I think people should be in the mindset of being there to support each other and support the Vietnamese community and support um, elevating Vietnam. And, you know, so I think we are very uh, focused and we look for people like that. We And I don't know if anybody's going to rock the boat <laughs> so far. But I mean, th th there's got to be instances where you probably have said no or had to decline membership. Uh, no. Thank goodness. No. There are people who will opt themselves out. There is somebody who's like, oh, I'm, you know, this, this group does nothing and I want to get out of here. So there was somebody who said, yeah, and that's fine. If you don't want to be there and you don't want to get all those barrage of emails, it's fine. You don't have to be there. You know? Your, your emails I, are, are something I look forward to. Oh, really? Oh, good. You, because I, I just... <laughs> yeah, I just got one this morning and yeah. I I love them because they give you an update of the different things that are happening uh, all over and the different offerings that different people like uh, somebody who owns a yacht who wants to throw yeah. a party. You know, there's like these random events and, you know, just disclaimer, I was like one of the first ones that I want to be a part of that yacht experience in, yeah. in, in uh, oh. County. Yeah, but there's these like random experiences. And I wish I was living in the Silicon Valley because there's these dinners and these things, these offerings that are constantly happening. Not as much here in Southern California and, and the East Coast, I, I noticed, but a lot in Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah, just because I'm there, but it doesn't mean that other people. I think we have people host will be hosting in New York, and we'll have hopefully we'll have more Washingtonians, you know, DC area, and and I think you can initiate initiate, you know, like the yacht, you know, is uh, there's a yacht for anybody who wants to book it in Newport Beach whenever you want, you know, the invitations open, right? And he even, I think, hi, even has this lounge for 50 people where you could throw a party for free. So it, it's there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I might have to take him up on that offer. Oh, just take him up on all the offers. And <laughs> uh, and we, we have so many, we have a big group in Southern California, like it's about 60 people. Uh, yeah. So- with um, the modeling that you've done with VLF, is there another organization outside of the Vietnamese community or American community that you kind of base this uh, loose uh, community on? Yeah, um, I think a lot of uh, group members thought that we were like the C100 uh, of the Chinese. Mm. And they um, and everybody did advise me to keep it you know, nomination only exclusive because that's makes it special. It's not open to just anybody. Yeah. And, uh, and I trust the people who, who nominate. And so far we've gotten, I mean, I haven't had any, any problems with the nominations. So um, I see 100 and I think um, I haven't uh, moved it to, more formal um, organization yet, because I think we're trying to make sure that we are bringing value, you know, in somehow and, um, and then does structure like rock the boat. And I don't know, you know, it's like, should we just leave it on structure like this? Or do we make it more formal and make it to a nonprofit and, you know, have a board. So um, uh, I guess some of the people uh, who have been advising me told me like, just keep it the way it is because it works uh, fine. But I think at some point we need a little bit more structure. And, and my dream is to like organize a whole trip for all of us to go back to Vietnam together. And that would be, you know, I think that that would be one of my goals is, um, is and then figure out like what impact like good great projects we can do there or even great you know what impact can we do here uh, i think the the current structure is is 
awesome because it there's no pressure and it feels like whenever anybody puts out um a message of of needing something it it just seems much more less uh, less pressure to perform or the stress of like having to think about something bigger than the actual you know organization itself is is very it's relaxed it's very uh, okay. a relaxing place to kind of get to know people Okay, good. I'm I'm glad you think that way, and I, and I think just to to be um you know just to be supportive of you know your podcast, uh, we thought well why don't we just um just highlight a member each month because and they can talk whatever about whatever they want whatever their passion is you know who they are because um and then you know um then that's a way for us to get together and get to know each other better since we're all across, you know, members across the world. I mean, I, I would even think I would go even so far as to do, you know, cause there's a lot of members and all the members deserve. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of good stories. I, I know of each yeah. of these members and a few of the members have been on the podcast, but once a week we can highlight a member or, you know, um, and it's a VLF member that, uh, and then you can put in the newsletter or twice a month, you know, something like that, where, uh, these people are under the radar and we as a community need to know more about each of these members and what they're doing. Uh, and it's not like it's uh, people that you can access every day. You know, these are really uh, high level people that are making big decisions in the, in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, you know, on purpose, I kept the uh, industry, uh, uh, professional, uh, loose too. I mean, you could be a nonprofit, you could be a chef, you could be a restaurant owner. Um, you could be in medicine, uh, because there's, uh, or you could be in the military. It's just, there's so many different experiences, uh, that I, I think we need to capture, you know, because, um, a lot of, uh, one of the members said that I, I need to put together Wikipedia of, of successful Vietnamese people because I don't think we have enough <laughs> of them. You know, we need to know about them. I agree. Uh, and not only do we need to know about them, but they need to be highlighted because then there is a blueprint and a an image. And I don't mean like a, a, a literal image, but there is this idea that... Uh, there is somebody in the Vietnamese community in America that has gone before and has done it. And perhaps there's a way to reach out to them and, and get a hold of their experience that we can build upon it. Yeah. And I think the beauty about our group is so many people who've been, who have been successful that are, you know, successful and retired in their sixties and they have plenty of time to give back and mentor others. And, and that is uh, a lot of them, that is their, you know, their, their biggest goal objective, you know, now that, okay, I've been there, done that I can mentor other people and that's where they're spending their time. And I think we need to bring those people forward because, you know, whatever time they have left, they can add a lot of value to the next generation. So yeah. I would urge you to, um, you know, I think we can spend, you know, get all those people to get talking. <laughs> yeah, I would love that. If you can just start. I'll, I'll you know, give I you would, that list of. Yeah, I would you know, start. Yeah. yeah okay. Here's like a case in point. Um, this is a very small example, but a very. Uh, it's a very difficult thing that I've tried to, to figure out. Uh, it's one person that I've been trying to figure out from day one. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many of us know that we had a NASA astronaut? No. Eugene Trin worked at NASA. He was a payload specialist and he was an astronaut. One guy, Eugene Trin. And, you know, he grew up in uh, Paris and went to school, I think, in France, then came out here and, you know, worked at Caltech out here in Pasadena. But I can't find him. I want to talk to him. I want him to, 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 to be known. And I want to talk to him and get to know his experience and what that was like. There was only one person. Uh, the other person is uh, a Vietnamese astronaut from the Russian uh, program because he was in Vietnam. So there's actually, we have two astronauts. Uh, Eugene Trin is, is the one on the NASA side and the other one, um, I forget his name, but he's 
from Vietnam and he worked in the in the Russian uh, space program. But I, these are this is just one example of probably like a thousand. When I first started, people asked me, don't you think you're going to run out one day of guests? And I'm like, there's no way there's it's yeah, impossible no to run. In fact, there needs to be 30. And I say this all the time. There needs to be 30 more podcasters like me to a, approach all different angles of guests, because I'm only asking sort of like my questions and what I'm interested about. But like if there was a Christina Bowie doing a podcast, you would ask different questions for mm -hmm. the Eugene trends of the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we need more podcasters to go out and excavate and explore uh, people that we haven't, and we won't run out of people. There's a lot of amazing people. And I'm only scratching the surface here in the US uh, predominantly, but the entire 100 million people in Vietnam, there's thousands of people doing great work around the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, that's, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Wow. I mean, I think a lot of people are also starting, um, you know, like their own version of the podcast in Vietnam, like, you know, to help the Vietnamese young, you know, younger generation there to see, okay, here's the, here are the people in the U S but I agree with you. I don't think you'll ever run out of content. <laughs> <laughs> because I think you should be there with me when I, uh, when somebody, uh, when uh, there's a nomination, I actually meet the people before I, I oh, uh, bring to. them in and you should join me on that because that's when you really hear like incredible stories. Like you should call every 188 person and meet them yourself because I, I get some amazing stories um, with, you know, every new person that what they've done in, and, uh, I, you know, I mean, it's, and, and it's so hard to get them all, you know, all their bios, how do, you know, do we get all their bios, all their stories? How do we download it? But I think that's a great goal. That for is us together. That is. And do you have um, a website? Yeah, we do have a website. And, and how do, what, what's the website? How can people read up on the VLA? Oh, you know, there's just not a lot, uh, there, but it's, uh, uh, it's <laughs> VietnameseLeadersForum.com and maybe we could load more stuff on there you know um, that's a great idea yeah I think so because the profiles and maybe even if the members are okay with it having an email where people can reach out because if there was like a Eugene trend that some high school kid is you know dreaming about and, and wishing to, to, to make contact with I can't find Eugene Trin's info anywhere. And if there was like a VLF listing of a member like a, a Eugene Trin, then young people like me when I was starting out could look up a, an astronaut's contact and, you know, have sort of an access, at least be able to oh, yeah. email because they're not on Instagram, I'm sure. Or because Eugene Trin is like 73, I believe, born 1950. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's like if I had access to Eugene's email, I can just reach out to him. You know, he's not on Instagram or anything like that. And that would be like a beautiful uh, situation for young people to to be able to access. Wow. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. I'm I never heard of him now. I'm uh, there's a Wikipedia on him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there's no way to contact him. And, you know, really? he's living in retirement somewhere in uh I think uh, West Virginia or something like that, or Virginia. Uh, yeah. And wow. What that a travesty to not be able to know that there's a, a Vietnamese, there was a Vietnamese um, astronaut. Yeah. Gosh. And I, that's amazing. Um, well, let's, our goal. Oh, he lives in McLean, Virginia. So that's close to my, my dad's house. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna yeah, go look, you, look for him. <laughs> yeah, you can ask around. So, uh, one last question: Are you going to be at the uh, Vietnam Gala or Vietnam Week uh, in DC? Oh, I haven't decided uh, whether I can make it, but that that would be amazing. Yeah, I bring that up because it's relevant to our discussion. It's uh, another person out there like uh, doing what you're doing in a different capacity. It's Erin Steinhardt. She's a Vietnamese woman who is organizing um, this thing called Vietnam Week uh, in DC. And she holds these big events uh, with moderators and uh, panelists from all these industries. Yeah, Erin um, is amazing because uh, she 
bit the bullet and just went for it. You now focused and really, really amazing. My entire family attended last year. So that was the first. And they were blown away that she was able to pull it off having such an amazing events that's free. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. I'm I'm going to be heading to Are it. Going? And I, and yeah. And I'm having Aaron come on the uh, podcast soon. So, you oh, know, that, God. it's going to you be, you know, amazing. we knew each other. She was from the, the old crew that, you know, that was uh, back in the, when I was uh, living in Washington, DC. So yeah, she really, um, I admire her for, you know, just a, sticking to it and and making it happen yeah i i want the young vietnamese all around the world and in the u.s to know that there are these older vietnamese people that are bonded for the last two three decades and they're bonded and they are in communication with each other and it's like if the young vietnamese that are listening to this podcast know that there exists this older generation that is willing to mentor, willing to help guide, you know, within the world of, of venture capitalists to become somebody in at NASA or at the FBI. I, I just would like the young people to know that there is this community of veteran business people, veteran artists that are, are really here to mentor and to help the younger Vietnamese communities. Oh, I, I, I love that goal because in thinking of my kids now, 14 and 17, they want to learn Vietnamese, you know, they, I mean, they, they want to go back to Vietnam. They're listening to V-pop in the car. Yeah. I was like, what is Vietnamese? You know, I was just, and, uh, and they want to wear, oh yeah. My daughter said, can you buy me an oh yeah when you come back? I mean, it's just, um, I, and, and, you know, I mean, we don't, we don't, uh, in San Francisco, we don't know a lot of Vietnamese people around us here, but for my kids to want that in their lives, um, they, uh, I think my son, you know, wants to, uh, uh, study Vietnam studies, um, that, you know, Ling Hang is offering at Columbia. I mean, if he yes. ended up Columbia, that's, you know, that's going to be one of his, you know, double major, uh, so, I, I think we want, you know, we want our children to, you know, to just have that, you know, just just have that inspiration. Christina, thank you so much for coming on today. And I'm sure I'm going to see you very soon. Oh, yeah. So look forward to um, seeing you again. Okay. Thank you, Christina. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. Special thanks to Brittany Tran, to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.